Chapter Nine of And So They Were Married by Florence Moores Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. A loving letter from his daughter followed Dr. North to Innisfield. In it, Elizabeth had described her disappointment in not being able to see more of her darling daddy. They had waited dinner for him that night, she said, and Sam was dreadfully put out about it. He almost scolded me for not bringing you right in. But how could I with all those women? You wouldn't have enjoyed it, Daddy dear. I know you too well. Next time, and I hope it will be soon, you must telephone me. We have a phone in our apartment now, and I'm sure I don't know how we ever lived without it. You see, I have so many engagements that even if I didn't happen to be entertaining, I might not be at home, which would be just as bad. The rest of the sheet was filled with a gay description of the automobile show, which was really quite a function this year, and of her success as a hostess. Evelyn says I've made immense progress, and she's quite proud of me. There was a short silence as Mrs North folded the letter and slipped it into its envelope. But I don't understand why you didn't go back and take dinner with them, as Bessie asked you to do, she said at last in a reproachful tone. You ought to have made an effort, Richard. The doctor's grizzled brows lifted humorously as he glanced across the breakfast table at his wife's worried face. Ought to have made an effort, eh? he repeated. Well, didn't I? I wanted to see Bess the worst way, but it seems she didn't want to see me, at least not at the time I arrived. So I went my way, got my lunch, met Grayson at the hospital at 2.30, finished the operation at 4.00, ran over to Avery's and left an order then. But why? I could have gone back to Bess then, and I wanted to, but she didn't invite me to come till six, and I knew I must make that 6.20 train, for I'd promised Mrs Baxter I'd call in the evening. So you see, my dear, I was up against it, as the boys say. Did she look well, Richard? asked his wife anxiously. Perfectly well, I should say. And did she tell you when we might expect her at home for a little visit? The doctor shook his head. I didn't have a chance to ask any questions, my dear. He arose and pushed back his chair. Well, I must be going. When you write to Bess, tell her it's all right and she's not to worry. I'll take care to let her know next time I'm coming. He went out and closed the door heavily behind him. Grandma Carroll, who had listened to the conversation without comment, pursed up her small, wise mouth. That reminds me, daughter. I think I shall go to Boston today she observed briskly. To Boston? Today? echoed her daughter in surprise. I don't believe I can possibly get away to go with you, mother. Malvina Bennett is coming to fix my black skirt. Besides, there's the baking and... You needn't to feel that you must put yourself out on my account, Lizzie, Mrs. Carroll replied with a slightly offended air. I am quite capable of going to China if it was necessary. I hadn't thought to mention it to you yesterday, but there's some shopping I want to do, so I'll get right off on the morning train. Will you have time to get around to see Bessie? I'll make time, said Grandma, trenchantly. I want to see what she's doing with my own eyes. I don't know what you think about her not asking her father into her table, but I know what I think. Oh, Mother, I hope you won't. You needn't to worry a mite about what I'll say or do. I shan't be hasty, but I mistrust that sip woman in leading Lizzie into extravagance and foolishness and I mean to find out. I shall probably stay all night and maybe all day tomorrow. But it might not be convenient for Bessie, hesitated Mrs. North. 
You know what she said about telephoning. I guess I'd better let her know you're coming. Hm! ejaculated Grandma. It wasn't always convenient for me to be up nights with her when she had whooping cough and measles, but I did it just the same. I don't want you should telephone, daughter. I don't know just when I shall get around to Lizzie's house. When I do, I'll stay till I get ready to come home. You can depend upon that. If all the folks in Boston are there a-visiting, I'll go right in and visit with them. I'm going to take my best silk dress and my point-lace collar, so I guess I'll be full as dressy as any of them. Mrs. North sighed apprehensively, but in the end she saw Mrs. Carroll onto the train with a wondering sense of relief. Mother always did know how to manage Bessie better than I did, she told herself vaguely. When Mrs. Carroll arrived at her destination, the whistles were proclaiming the hour of noon. I'm just in time for dinner, I guess, she observed cheerily to the elevator boy, who grinned his appreciation. But there was no token of occupancy about the Brewster apartment when Mrs. Carroll rapped smartly upon the door. The missus is out, volunteered the boy, who had lingered to watch the progress of the pink-cheeked, smiling old lady. But the girl's there. I seen her go in not fifteen minutes ago. Thus encouraged, Mrs. Carroll repeated her summons. After what seemed a second interminable silence, the door opened, disclosing an alert presence in an immaculate cap and apron. "'How do you do?' said Grandma pleasantly. "'This boy here says Mrs. Brewster isn't at home, but I'll come in and wait till she does. I'm her grandmother, Mrs. Carroll. You've probably heard her speak of me, and I guess you're the girl she tells about in her letters sometimes. You've got a pretty name, my dear, and you look real neat and clean.' Now, if you'll just take my bag, it's pretty heavy, and... Anita had not taken her beady black eyes off the little presence. I never let strangers in when Mrs. Brewster's not at home, she said stolidly. It ain't to be expected that I should. I guess you'll have to come again about four this afternoon, maybe. I like to see a hired girl careful and watchful, said Grandma approvingly. But if you look in the photograph album I gave my granddaughter Lizzie on her 16th birthday, you'll see my picture on the front page, and that'll relieve you of all responsibility. She pushed determinedly past the astonished Anita, and was laying off her bonnet in the front room before the young person could collect her forces for a second protest. So your mistress isn't coming home for dinner, Mrs. Carroll's voice, full of kindly inflections, pursued Miss McMurtry to her final stronghold. My, I'd forgotten what a small kitchen this was. Dark, isn't it? I'm afraid that's what makes you look so pale. Now, if you'll just make me a cup of tea, or let me do it if you're busy, I'm used to waiting on myself. I suppose I'll find the tea caddy in here. You let my place alone, you, hissed Anita, livid with rage, as Grandma Carroll laid her hand on the door of the cupboard. But she was too late. The open door disclosed a large frosted cake, a heap of delicately browned rolls, and a roasted chicken. Well, well. Your cooking looks very nice indeed. I suppose you're expecting company. But if you can spare me one of those tasty rolls, I shall make out nicely with the tea. Be sure and have it hot, my dear. And Grandma pattered gently back into the dining room, smiling wisely to herself. Just how many of Miss McMurtry's plans went awry that afternoon, it would be hard to say. At three o'clock, when a mysterious black-robed elderly person carrying a capacious basket, came up in the elevator. She was met in the corridor by a white visage fury in a frilled cap and apron who implored her distractedly to go away. And for what should I go away? 
"'Ain't the things ready as usual?' demanded the lady with the basket. "'I'd like me cup of tea, too. I'm that tired and cold.' Miss McMurtry almost wept on the maternal shoulder. "'I've got a lovely chicken,' she whispered. "'And a cake, besides the roll you was hungry for, and the groceries. But her grandmother, bad luck to her, came this morning from the country, and she's helping me clean my kitchen.' "'What for? Did you let her into your kitchen?' demanded the elder McMurtry indignantly. "'I'm surprised at your Annie.' "'I didn't let her in. She walked right out and poked her nose into my cupboard, without so much as saying by your leave. I think I'll be leaving my place. I won't wait to be thrown out by her.' Miss McMurtry's tone was bitter. "'They ain't much anyway. I'd rather go where there was more to do with.' "'Right you are, Annie, my girl. I've told you that same many's the time.' "'But if you leave in the night, be sure,' the woman's voice dropped to a hissing whisper. "'I'll do it sure and maybe.' The girl's black eyes gleamed wickedly as she caught the creak and rattle of the ascending elevator. "'I can do better than what you said in the end. It's safe enough with the likes of them. They're easy.' At six o'clock, in fluttered Elizabeth, a vision of elegant femininity in her soft furs and plumes and trailing skirts. Darling Grandmama was kissed and embraced quite in the latest fashion, and the two sat down cosily to visit, while Anita set the table for dinner with stony composure. "'I've been here since noon,' said Grandma complacently, "'and I've been putting in my time helping your hired girl clean her cupboards.' "'What? Anita? You've been helping Anita?' "'Why, yes. I didn't have anything else to do, and the cupboards certainly did need cleaning. Seems to me, Lizzie, you keep a big stock of all sorts of groceries on hand for so small a family as yours.' "'Do we?' asked Elizabeth, yawning daintily. "'I'm sure I don't know what we have. "'Anita is perfectly competent to attend to everything in the kitchen, "'and I never interfere. "'She doesn't like it, and so why should I?' "'What are you paying for butter this winter?' "'Grandma wanted to know after a thoughtful pause. "'I'm sure I don't know. "'The usual price, I suppose. "'Sam attends to the bills. "'He looks them over every night when he comes home "'and gives Anita the money to pay them with.' Hmm, commented Grandma, surveying her granddaughter keenly over the top of her spectacles. That's a new way to keep house, seems to me. It's a nice way. I know that, laughed Elizabeth. She had changed subtly from the shy, undeveloped girl who had left Innisfield less than a year ago into a luxuriance of bloom and beauty which astonished the older woman. There was an air of poise, of elegance, of assured dignity about her slender figure, which fitted her as did her gown. It must be easy, certainly, agreed Mrs. Carroll, sniffing delicately after a well-remembered fashion. Elizabeth laughed and shrugged her shoulders, in a way she had caught from Evelyn Tripp. Now you know you are dying to lecture me, Grandma, she said caressingly. But you see, dear, that things are decidedly different here in Boston, and... But here comes Sam. He'll be so glad to see you. Mrs. Carroll was very cheerful and chatty with the young people that evening. She told them all the Innisfield news in her most spirited fashion, and never once, by word or look, expressed her growing disapproval of what her shrewd old eyes were telling her. Miss McMurtry, who stood with her ear glued to the crack of the door for a long half-hour, finally retired with a contemptuous toss of her black head. Then, the coast being clear, she found opportunity to convey to their destination the comestibles dutifully provided for maternal consumption. "'She's full as easy as the young one for all her meddling ways,' said Miss McMurtry, "'and she'll be leaving in the morning, so there'll be no back talk coming from her.' But for once, 
Anita was mistaken in her premises. Mrs. Carroll, it is true, made no immediate reference to the disclosures afforded by her daring invasion of the kitchen fastnesses, nor did she even remotely allude to the probable date of her departure for Innisfield. "'I don't want you should make company of me, Lizzie,' she said pleasantly, "'or put yourself out and might. I'll just join right in and do whatever you're planning to do.' Elizabeth puckered her pretty forehead perplexedly. She was thinking that Grandma Carroll's unannounced visit would necessitate the hasty giving up of a gay luncheon and theatre party planned for that very afternoon. Tears of vexation sparkled in her brown eyes as she took down the telephone receiver. Mrs. Carroll listened to the one-sided conversation which followed without visible discomfiture. "'Now that's too bad,' she observed sympathetically. "'Why didn't you tell me you wanted to go, and I'd have eaten my lunch right here at home? There's plenty of cooked victuals in your kitchen pantry.' I saw him yesterday whilst I was out helping around. I suppose your hired girl cooked the roast chicken and the layer cake and the rolls for Samuel's noonings. I hope you'll see to it, Lizzie, that he takes a good tasty lunch to work every day. But, of course you do. Elizabeth stared. Why, Grandma, she said. Sam doesn't carry his lunch like a common workman. He eats it at a restaurant in South Boston. Hmm, mused Mrs. Carroll. I wonder if he gets anything fit to eat there. Samuel appears to have gone off in his weight considerable since I saw him last, she added, shaking her head wisely. He needs a gentian tonic, I should say, or something. You're mistaken, Grandma, Elizabeth said, with an air of offended wifely dignity. Sam isn't the least bit ill. Of course he works hard, but I should be the first to notice it if there was anything the matter with my husband. "'Care killed a cat,' quoted Grandma sententiously, "'and you appear to be pretty much occupied with other things. "'Home ought to come first, my dear. "'I hope you aren't forgetting that.' "'Elizabeth's pretty face was a study. "'She bit her lip to keep back the petulant words "'that trembled on her tongue. "'Evil in its coming, Grandma,' she said hurriedly, "'and please don't discuss things before her.' "'Miss Tripp was unaffectedly surprised "'and, as she declared, charmed, to see dear Mrs. Carroll in Boston. I didn't suppose, she said, that you ever could bring yourself to leave dear quite Innisfield. Mrs. Carroll, on her part, exhibited a smiling blandness of demeanour, which served as an incentive to the lively, if somewhat one-sided, conversation which followed. A shrewd question, now and then, on the part of Mrs. Carroll, eliciting numerous facts all bearing on the varied social activities of dear Elizabeth. I'm positively looking forward to Lent, sighed Miss Tripp, for really I'm worn to a fringe, but dear Elizabeth never seems tired, no matter how many engagements she has. It is a perfect delight to look at her, isn't it, dear Mrs. Carroll? Lizzie certainly does look healthy, admitted the smiling old lady, but it beats me how she finds the time to look after her husband and her hired girl with so many parties. The result of Mrs. Carroll's subsequent observations and conclusions were summed up in the few tranchant remarks addressed to her granddaughter the following day, as she was tying on her bonnet, preparatory to taking the train for Innisfield. "'I hope you'll come again soon, Grandma,' Elizabeth said dutifully. "'I mistrust you don't mean that, Lizzie,' replied Mrs. Carroll, facing about and gazing keenly at the young matron. "'And I may as well say that I'm not likely to interfere with your plans often.' I like my own bed and my own rocking chair too well to be going about the country much. 
but I couldn't make out from what your father said just what the matter was. Elizabeth shrugged her shoulders with a pretty air of forbearance. I was awfully sorry about Daddy, she murmured, but I don't see how I could have done anything else under the circumstances. Well, I do, said Grandma Carroll severely. She buttoned her gloves energetically as she went on in no uncertain tones. I've always been a great believer in everybody minding their own business, but there's times when a little plain speech won't hurt anybody. Things aren't going right in your house, Lizzie. I can see that without half looking. I warn you to keep an eye on your kitchen pantry. I mistrust there's a leak there. I trust Anita perfectly, said Elizabeth, her round chin tilted aggressively, and I'm sure I ought to know by this time. I agree with you there, Lizzie. You ought to know, but you don't. That girl is carrying things out of your kitchen as fast as the grocer and the butcher can bring them in. I don't think you can afford to let her spend your husband's money as she pleases. And that is what it amounts to, the way you're managing now. But Grandma, protested Elizabeth, Sam looks over every one of the bills himself before he pays them. It isn't your husband's place to do your work and his own too, my dear. Elizabeth hung her head, her face flaming with angry colour. You've been brought up to be a sensible, industrious, economical woman, pursued Mrs Carroll earnestly. But from what that tip girl said yesterday, I should imagine you'd taken leave of your senses. What does Samuel say to your spending so much money and being out so constant? He, he likes to have me have a good time. Well, I'll lose my guess if he's having one, said Grandma pointedly. Samuel looked worried to death last night when Teresa brought in the bills, and I took notice he didn't eat scarcely anything at dinner. For that matter, I didn't myself. There wasn't a thing on the table cooked properly. Now, Lizzie, I've said my say, and I'm going. She kissed her granddaughter heartily. Take time to think it over, child. And mind you don't tell the Fripp girl what I've said. She could talk a bird off a bush without a bit of trouble. I wonder if everybody gets as queer and unreasonable as Grandma when they are old, mused Elizabeth, as she picked her way daintily through the sloppy streets. I'm sure I hope I shan't. Of course Sammy's all right. I guess he'd tell me the very first thing if he wasn't. Nevertheless, Mrs. Carroll's significant words had left an unpleasant echo in her mind, which haunted her at intervals all day. Under its influence, she made a bold incursion into her kitchen after a luncheon of chipped beef, dry toast and indifferent baker's cake. Have we any cold chicken, Anita? she asked hesitatingly. I, that is, I am expecting a few friends this afternoon and I thought... Miss McMurtry faced about and eyed her mistress with lowering brows. There ain't any chicken in the place, Mrs Brewster, she said stonily, and as I ain't in the habit of having parties sprung on me unbeknownst, I'll be leaving at the end of my month, which is tomorrow, if you please. Elizabeth's newfound dignity enabled her to face the woman's angry looks without visible discomfiture. Very well, Anita, she said quietly. Perhaps that will be best for both of us. End of chapter 9 Recording by Michelle Eaton